Well, we are three quarters of the way to a century. Yes, you heard right. Episode 75 of your favorite sporting podcast. It is Hockey the Podcast with me, Derek Albertson, as always. I've got my partner in crime in the house, Tyron Jabu Barnard, for what is essentially, Ty, a very, very special episode this time around. Yeah, Derek, good evening. Well, it's evening while we're recording. Good evening to you. Uh, good morning to whoever you are listening. Yeah, and welcome to Hockey the Podcast. I'm, I'm excited for this. Uh, it's not a new guest. It's a guest who's been here before, who we could have fitted into, uh, could have shared his uh, interview over two separate episodes. But a big moment has come in his career, and that is that... Uh, the man has decided to hang up his hockey stick, his big Adidas stick. There are a lot of postmen around the world breathing a sigh of relief, a few keepers as well. <laughs> um, and uh, he probably ended it in the best way possible yesterday when his team uh, turned around a uh, Hurley turned around a 2-0 deficit, 2-1-3-2. And, and of course, Justin Reed Ross getting on the board. So signing out on a high just... Uh, Thanks for joining us tonight, and uh, congratulations on an epic uh, club hockey career. Thanks, guys. Thanks. It's awesome to be here, and uh, yeah, thanks for reaching out for me uh, to be involved this evening. It's nice to uh, nice to chat about yeah what's essentially come to an end after after all these years. Yeah, I mean, and, and I mean, it was just yesterday, so uh, we were yeah. recording on a Monday night, <laughs> the sixteenth of May, yesterday, that uh, you wrapped it all up. You you. You tied the bow. Uh, has it hit home yet? No, not at all. Um, it's it, yeah. Uh, let's be honest. We're also a bit of a weird end to the season. So if anybody has been following the Hofklasser, uh, the finals of the Hofklasser were played on Saturday uh, when Blumendahl won league uh, in the second of uh, of two fi- or second of three finals, possible three finals. But I've been in Kampong. Um, and uh, and and my team Hurley um, got to play a game on Sunday against Hilberg after the end of the competition had already had already come and gone. Um, so our game originally against Hilberg was delayed because they had um, a bunch of COVID cases. And uh, when it came to play the uh, yeah the kind of uh, the rematch or the uh, uh, the replay of that game. Um, our team decided to be flawed with COVID. Uh, so we had uh, essentially 12 men down plus our coach, uh, which meant we didn't have enough players and the game got delayed twice more. So that's how we ended up on the pitch yesterday afternoon after after every other game in the competition was over and it was uh, literally playing for nothing. Uh, we could jump one place up if we won. Tilburg could literally achieve nothing uh, from the game. So, yeah, there wasn't really much on the line, but it was, it was pretty nice to be outside in the sunshine and uh, and playing on a Sunday again. Just, uh, I mean, it must have been pretty nice to be playing in the sunshine, but but not only that, to, to have signed off with a victory, to have signed off by getting on the score sheet, how long prior did you know that 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 was the end? Oh, good, uh, good question, Derek. Uh, to be completely honest, I think at the beginning of the season when I went into the season with Hurley, I was, I was kind of, yeah, I think I had in the back of my mind that this would be the last season. Um, I think leaving Amsterdam uh, on the way that I did, which we discussed obviously in the previous edition, uh, I wasn't really ready to end my career on that note. Um, but I kind of had the feeling that with all the time commitments and energy commitments that come with a full-time professional hockey career, 
uh, on top of work and family, it was um, it was getting quite difficult to, to juggle that and balance that. And yeah, I think I kind of knew fairly early on that this would probably be the last season. Um, but I think after the birth of my daughter in November last year, um, I think that kind of put things in perspective that I needed to take some time off to focus on family and be around more. And yeah, the moments that I have with with my kids and with my wife uh, here in Amsterdam, those are incredible moments for me. And those are things that I want to yeah kind of spend more time focusing on over the next few years. And hockey kind of became more of a fun side project than uh than a career i suppose uh which it was for probably the last 10 of 11 years i mean there's another massive uh, development in your life uh, recently uh, as as you became a father and there's no question you said becoming a family that that was was massive and, and having to be a family man but it's not only that because of course being a father it's everyone knows well being a parent it's a full-time job in itself and there's no question that uh, your missus would have enjoyed having you around a little bit more, being able to, to, to look after the little one. And I'm sure that must have played a massive role. Well, yeah, let's, let's wait and see how that turns out because she's used to having three nights a week on her own uh, in peace and quiet. Um, and now she's going to have me full time. So maybe we should have a follow-up to the session in a couple of months' time to see if I'm, uh, if I'm still happily married. No, I... Um, I think Ash is going to be super stoked that I'm going to be around uh, a little bit more. Obviously, living um, overseas with with no family close by, you know, we we kind of do everything ourselves. Um, so it's not, yeah, we can't really hand off the kids to to parents, to our parents, to their grandparents for uh, for a couple of hours on a weekend or in the evening. Uh, we essentially are full time full time parents uh, with full time jobs, um, which means yeah, uh, life gets busy. And, and um, it, so, yeah, it, it's, I think it's going to be good. It, it's interesting that, Justin, because it, it's it's an amazing what the trade-off comes with with playing overseas or playing in Europe because, of course, we know it, it's a far more professional setup over in Europe than it is back in South Africa in terms of the hockey. But that being yeah. said, uh, while you get the joys of the professional side of things, as you said, you lose out on the family side of things and, and not just from a, hey, cool, I get to see my folks, but... Uh, from the fact that hey, geez, I actually get people to have to to look after my own family, and and that's the trade-off. So it's like, well, I'm going yeah. over to Europe. I'm going to become a professional hockey player, but in doing so, uh, there's a lot of things I'm going to be losing out on. Yeah, and I, look, I guess the argument always is, you know, you can always pack up your stuff at the end of your career and head back to South Africa. Um, I think the difficult thing is. Uh, you know, when my partner Ash came over originally, she got she found herself a job and settled in quite nicely. Um, and she's yeah, she's established herself um, on her own here in, in, in the Netherlands. So, you know, from that perspective, South Africa or moving back to South Africa wasn't really on the cards because we both built up a bit of a career here and a, and a bit of a future. Um, and I guess when we decided to to invest in a property here a couple of years ago and have kids here, yeah, it become became a little bit more kind of set in stone that we weren't going anywhere for a while. Um, with that in mind, it was a yeah, it was a conscious decision, obviously, but it was one that we knew would affect our families heavily. And you know, having the having the help is one thing, but I think it's more having the interaction for our kids with their grandparents. That's that's something that we miss the most. Um, you know, Ben, our son, is now at an age where he uh, where he can really talk and interact and and have conversations with his grandparents. He does that regularly over FaceTime, um, which is incredible to see. But I think that that physical element of being able to give them a hug and and spend a day with them, I think that's something that we that we certainly do miss. So, yeah, big trade off. Um, but at the same time, I think the opportunity 
opportunities that we've that we've created for ourselves here in the Netherlands are uh, yeah are, are pretty good. So I think for our family and for you know our future, I think we're, we've made the right right decision there. Yeah, and and uh, your gain South Africa's loss, but I mean we spoke about it previously. Um, you know, you played ninety seven Test caps for South Africa, and that in itself is an incredible achievement. Um, but now that you are hanging up the stick, that is, you're officially closing the book on the chance of the 100. Was there any any call up to Springs or uh, any selectors to say, come on, bring me down for the Namibia series, let me get that 100? Uh, no, no, I didn't uh, I didn't reach out at any point. Um, yeah, I think we also discussed this probably on the, on the previous, I think we did on the, on the previous uh, episode. Um, I've always firmly believed that if uh, if players are considered good enough by the coaching staff, doesn't matter where they are in the world, they'll, they'll get a call. Um, yeah, so for me, it was more a case of, you know, if that call doesn't come, then, then, it's, then it's not on the cards. Um, and I'll leave it in a very capable hand of the, of the coaching staff and the selectors. Um, yeah, would I have loved to have had that opportunity? Yes, 100%. Um, yeah, probably have been waiting on a bit of a call since the World Cup 2014. But uh, at the same time, you know, I also made it quite clear that I was not going to sacrifice a hell of a lot of, um, you know, my, my commitments uh, and contracts that I had here in the Netherlands uh, during that period, you know, unless it worked out well, unless, you know, I could also afford to do so. And that's always been a challenge with being a South African-based um, overseas. Uh, it's not cheap to, to fly yourself back and forth for training camps and, and tournaments. Um and those were considerations that I'm that you know that had to be made, and I think yeah, essentially it was me looking long term at what what the impact would be on my family and, and my future here. So uh, yeah, I think I was very close to being involved in the in the World Cup 2018. Um, at that time, though, my son was born uh, in November. World Cup ended up being in December, so the timing on that wasn't fantastic. Um, so, yeah, I think that would have been a nice way to also probably have signed off properly uh, and officially. I would have probably then said after that, okay, that's it. Um, you know, now it's time for the, for the new wave and the new guard to, uh, to, to come in. Yeah, and, and I mean, obviously, the, there is a less vested but still an interest in the South African men's side. A couple of your mates that you played a lot of tests with are still in the squad. Uh, I mean, how much are you, uh, or how much do you keep up with things ahead of the Olympics? And, and, you know, it's always interesting to hear from former players. Will you be actively watching the Olympic uh, games or, or will you just check the scores later on uh, hockey or something? Joe, you know me well enough that I'm, I'm too much of a hockey nerd to, to not follow this kind of stuff. <laughs> so, um, you know, uh, Having having Austin, uh, one of my best mates, uh, still charging around. I mean, just what a season he's had, you know, taking Denbosch to the playoffs for the first time in what is it, 20 years. Um, you know, watching him is going to be fantastic. And you know, my, my, my boy Ben loves uh, loves sending Aussie messages before the games to say good luck and stuff like that. So we'll be we'll be doing that before before the Olympics and, and following that, you know, obviously assuming he's going to be involved. Um, and obviously guys like Tim and a couple of the younger guys that I played with along the way, um, Matt Guys Brown and the rest uh, of that crew. Um, I think it's going to be really, really cool to watch. Um, it'll be, it'll be tough. I'll be completely honest. It'll be tough watching. Um, but at the same time, I will be following with a lot of pride and a lot of passion, and and hoping that the boys can can pull up some really, really nice results. Justin, I know we we chatted a bit about it off air, but 
uh, it's a day later. Yeah. Has it has it sunk in yet? And and it always fascinates me when a when a sportsman decides to retire because it's a, it's a lot different from say retiring from one's job because of course you would be yeah. a lot older and you've pretty much got a set plan, not many years left, retirement, get into the retirement annuity. For a sportsman, <laughs> it's the middle of your life and now you're saying yeah. goodbye to something that has been pretty much there for the the entirety of your life. And now it's a day later yeah. and you said, cheers, I'm not doing that anymore. Now what? Look, I think uh, I don't like the word retirement for sport. I don't think it fits. Um, you know, if you think of classic retirement, you just, you just described it. It's, you know, that towards the end of your, of your, of your life, um, you know, you're going to settle down, sit back, relax, uh, you know, enjoy your pension and, uh, uh yeah, maybe head down to the beach, uh, and spend, spend a couple of, couple of months a year chilling down there and for the rest, hanging out with your grandkids and stuff like that. Uh, I feel like for me, it's, it's the start of a, of a really, really exciting period of my life. Um, you know, like I mentioned, I've got a full-time job already, but you know, I don't see that being the be all and end all of my life. It's, it's an opportunity now for me to kind of diversify and maybe focus on, uh, on some other little projects that, uh, little passion projects that I would have wanted to start a couple of years ago, but never really had the time or, or opportunity to do because of all the commitments that came with, uh, with playing hockey. Um, has it sunk in yet? Definitely not. Uh, I think the last two weeks have been really weird considering I was meant to play my last game two weeks ago and I'd kind of psyched myself up for that. And then the game was delayed by a week and then I had to psych myself up for that. And then on the day before it was delayed again. So it's been a bit of an up and down roller coaster of emotions. Um, I think, you know, something that did really hit home is on the way to the game yesterday, I gave my dad a call. Um, yeah, and those of, know, those of you who know my dad uh, know that he's also a, a passionate hockey nerd, uh, you know, ex-international himself. And, you know, he was funny enough at uh, playing, playing a game with his master's team at Vitbunk. And he'd obviously had a couple of toots as well. So he was feeling a bit emotional uh, about the whole situation. Uh, and he said a couple of words and I just, yeah, I kind of just burst into tears on the bike on the way to the ground. And that was kind of, I think, a moment where it hit me where I was like, okay, wow, this is really happening. Um, but when I woke up this morning, I didn't feel any different apart from a bit stiff and sore from taking a few balls to the kneecaps. Um, you know, that's standard, standard practice for, for my age. You know, the hand-eye coordination isn't quite the same as it used to be. But um, no, I, I, this evening, just before I called, I took my hockey stuff upstairs into the attic, uh, put the sticks away, put the boots away, and, uh, and made some space in my bedroom. Uh, and hopefully, hopefully it's not going to smell like wet hockey kit for the, for the next foreseeable future. <laughs> Just, um, yeah, 100, I think it's 185 worth the class of goals, which uh, puts you a little bit far, far away from the second place person on the, the list in terms of foreign goal scorers. Um, in fact, yeah. only two people have more than 100. And, and for those who don't know, the other is uh, Ozzy Smith. Smith. Yeah. yeah, he's got 105. Very. So he needs another 80. To catch I, think up. I, I think I ended up sneaking in the, the 186 yesterday, if I'm not oh, mistaken. Brilliant. Brilliant. But, brilliant. Um, yeah, I, very, very I wanted cool to stats. do the math since we last chatted, but I mean, that's incredible. Yeah, uh, it's, a, it's, a cool, it's a cool stat. Um, I, remember, I remember breaking the old record, uh, I think it was 83 or 84 goals by, uh, by a British guy called Dave Matthews, not from the band, um, <laughs> uh, who played for Amsterdam as well. Um, in, the, in the 90s, if I'm not mistaken, early, early 2000s. 
And, and that was my first season at Amsterdam. Uh, so what is that? Seven years ago. Um, and that was quite a significant moment. And then, yeah, hit 150 goals a little bit later. 186 is again, uh, very much, I feel quite similar to my, to my international caps number. It's, it's just shy of where I probably would have wanted to be. Um, but, but still, I think quite a unique, uh, quite a unique, uh, yeah, legacy to have been able to leave behind. And I'm, I'm hoping more than anything that Austin can crack on for another four or five years. Maybe it only takes him three years. Yeah. <laughs> you can add another another 80 to that and, uh, and, and join me up there. I think it would be pretty cool. Yeah, look, it's only him and uh, Sahail Abbas is very close, if you ask him. Um, well, so, so, so Hale's also the type of guy that co- could come out of retirement at age 50 and score another 100 goals in the Hove Cluster. So uh, I'm not holding on to it for, for too long. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, and I mean, just if, it's it's a ridiculous question to ask when you have so many, but are there any that like just stand out as that little bit extra special because of what they meant or the game that they happened in? Uh, oh, geez, that's a very, very good question. Um, look, I mean, I, I don't think you ever forget your first goal in the Hof Cluster. Um, it wasn't a drag flick, funny enough. It was a penalty stroke against Kampong for Pinake in, in 2010. Um I think the last one uh, yesterday, despite it being far from my best flick ever, will obviously stick around. Just you know, uh, finishing off on a on a high note. I think it was it was, it was also the last ball I flicked, uh, which is quite nice. Um, yeah, in between there were there were some obviously really unique ones. Obviously, Hove Cluster goals. There were there were some nice ones. I think I scored some some really nice ones against Blumendahl in my career. And I mean, there was a there was a period I think in my first season at Amsterdam where. I scored, I think we played the first five games of the season and, and nobody else had scored a goal. We hadn't scored any field goals and I scored a backhand field goal into the top corner against the Alpstock Mountain goal, um, which is, yeah, probably the best field goal I've ever scored in my life. Um, and yeah, that, that, that one will stick with me. Um, yeah, drag flicks, uh, you kind of get used to the, the feeling of the ball flying into the net, which is which is really unique, but... I think scoring a field goal as a as a right back is always a always quite uh, quite a special one. So I think that one will definitely stick with me over the years. Yeah, look, I I was a left back, and um, no, it's not because I was left back on the bench, but um, <laughs> I was just waiting for that. But no, I was a left back, and I can remember every single goal I scored because it was only four. Uh, <laughs> I, I wasn't involved in penalty corners except for defending them, and uh, yeah, I mean also all four of mine were field goals and. <laughs> probably actually the, the greatest goal I ever scored is the biggest fluke goal that if you did it a hundred times, it wouldn't uh, stand. Um, a defender cleared the ball. I was actually playing on grass and a defender cleared the ball and it lifted, but it lifted straight at me. So I ducked, but I left my stick up accidentally no, and it, my stick looped over the keeper went in and the, the umpires obviously played advantage because it was danger to me and I got the goal. Um, Please tell me there's footage of that goal somewhere. Uh, no, Where man, it? it was it was at Benoni Northerns on the grass. I mean, <laughs> back there we kept scoring an abacus. Uh, but yeah, ju- I mean, just obviously Pinocchio, Amsterdam, um, Delhi Wave Riders, Ranchi Rhinos, obviously uh, uh, Hurley, where you finished up, South Africa, Pretoria Boys, Northerns. Yeah. I mean. Yeah, you, you've played with some incredible players and, and I'm going to ask you to go walk down memory lane here 
and and maybe you'll offend some, but pick a player from each team that uh, just was a really cool memory playing alongside that person. Oh, this is going to be tough. Um, okay, we'll, t- we'll take it back. Uh, high school days, um, I'm not sure if we ever played in the first team together. I, I, he'll probably hate me for not knowing this, but uh, Chris Morris, um, the famous Chris Morris, <laughs> played hockey at Boys High. Um, and yeah, that was obviously a cool memory looking back now. Uh, going into university days, um, I played for Boys Are Old Boys uh, first uh, and then moved on to Tuckies. Uh, in my Tuckies days, there were some really some really incredible players that uh, either coached or played alongside me. And I think the standout one there was Craig Fulton. Um, you know, he was a bit of a hero of mine growing up and being able to play alongside him and be coached by him was, uh, was really, really unique and remains a really, really good friend of mine to this day. Um, geez, early days of playing for South Africa um, made my debut alongside some some really really incredible players. Um, one that stood out at the time, without a doubt, was Eric Rosinus, the Birdman. Um, uh, yeah, one of the most technically gifted players I've ever come across. I'll, I have ever come across, and an absolute gentleman on and off the pitch. Jeez, uh, oh, now I've got a Flip forward a few years to, to some of my other club experiences. Let's see, Gontoise in Belgium was my first overseas uh, overseas playing experience. Um, also played with some some fantastic internationals there. I obviously went over with with Wade Payton and Tommy Hammond on my first season. Um, if there's some really weird noises coming from the background, I'm sorry, I, my dog is sleeping behind me, and that's him snoring, not me. Um, so. Belgium, uh, first season. There were there were there were brothers that played for Belgium uh, in those days called uh, Charles and Louis van der Vega, um, two of the most hilarious players I've ever come across in my life in terms of sense of humour, but also technically absolutely brilliant. Um, Louis van der Vega was probably the most uh, technically brilliant player I've, I've I've played with over the years uh, in terms of his or technically technical ability, but also tactical understanding of the game. Um, these names are probably not going to mean a lot to a lot of people, but uh, we'll probably get onto a few more uh, well-known names as we go along the list. So after Belgium, I played in Australia for a season, uh, together with Red Halkett and Lloyd Norris-Jones. Uh, in that team, there were a couple of Australian internationals who, uh, who were running around, running along uh, aside us. Uh, at the time, Tim Deven, um, was, was in my team. Um, anybody who followed the Australian team for the last couple of years will know that name. An absolute animal uh, of a hockey player, just a workhorse. He had an engine on him like it just never ended. The guy could run and run and run. Uh, also knew how to drink at that tempo as well, which was quite uh, quite scary uh, at some time, at some points. Um, oh, geez, I'm going to skip forward again. Okay, Pinake came next. Um, also a very, very tough decision, but I... My first season, I got to play with one of my all-time hockey heroes, a guy by the name of Tim Hoying, Dutch international. Um, was involved in the Dutch team in a, in a couple of uh, major tournaments. Played in Beijing in 2008. Um, absolute legend of a man. Uh, got a lot of uh, creative inspiration from him as well. For those of you who know anything about me, you know, I'm, I'm pretty big into photography. Uh, Tim was a, is a professional photographer, so I got a lot of uh, got a lot of inspiration from him over the years. 
Uh, playing at Amsterdam, again, a very tough one. Played there for six years. Um, I think the standout memory there, this is a bit of a tight one. I'm going to have to name two names here because one was a player. The other one was uh, somebody that I was coached by. Uh, the player was Flores Avers. Um, and Ashworth, aren't you going to go with her? Say again? Are you going with Anne Ashworth? Alison Annan. Ach, that's what I meant. <laughs> that, that's what you meant. <laughs> but yes, yeah, Alison, Alison Annan, definitely. Um, yeah, I mean, multiple world player of the year, um, you know, multiple award, uh, award and championship winning coach with the Dutch women's team. But playing under her was uh, was incredible. I learned so much in, in the year and a half that she was my coach um, and developed so much as a player in that period that I was, uh, I was really lucky to have that opportunity. Uh, first year at Runchy, yeah, again, a lot of really, really good players there. Um, but I think I'd have to go with Mo Furster. Uh, I managed to room with him a couple of times during the tour. And again, just a really down to earth, good guy. And yeah, there's no need to discuss his hockey ability. That was, uh, absolutely exceptional. Um, what do we have next? Delhi Wave Riders after Runchy. Uh, another difficult one. There were some really, really class players uh, in that team, uh, and from from different backgrounds as well. So guys like Benny Stanzel from Austria, uh, Mark Pearson from Canada. Uh, you know, nations that you don't often, I guess, that fall into the South Africa category that uh, people don't really consider having uh, exceptional players all the time. But uh, those guys were both absolutely world class players and, and guys off the pitch. Uh, obviously, Simon Child was in that mix as well. Um, but the one guy that I really, really enjoyed playing with and, and got on with really well was Rupinder Balsing. Um, an absolute yeah, hero of the game in India. Um, a, a, so down to earth, absolute gentleman. Um, and she's uh, as a drag flicker, somebody that I still look up to. Um, I, you know, I, I, I thought I flicked the ball hard, but she said, God put me to shame. Uh, also, I guess it helped that he was about two meters taller than I am. Um, and played with about a 40-inch hockey stick. So uh, generating pace wasn't a problem for him. Um, yeah, and then moving on to uh, where, where are we now? I guess that's it. Yeah, Hurley. Um, again, some some really established hope-tosser players that I've been able to play with, uh, play with at Hurley. Um, some lovely guys. It's just been a really, really fun year playing hockey, kind of getting back to the basics of just enjoying myself um, and playing hockey for the enjoyment element, um, which I think is something I missed for my last probably two years at Amsterdam to a certain degree. Um, again, some fantastic players at Hurley, but one guy I really kind of clicked with and, and, and really enjoyed playing alongside is uh, a guy called Philip Tiardens. Um, Austin will know him as well. He played at Den Bosch for a long time. Um, the man is a, uh, an intellectual. He's a very, very smart guy. Got a pretty, pretty intense job. Um, but again, he's a drag flicker as well. Uh, with me being around, he didn't get many chances to flick. I think he flicked six balls a season and scored five. So he put my uh, conversion rate to shame, but um, an absolute legend on and off the pitch. And uh, yeah, nice that we got to end off uh, our careers at the same time. And uh, and he also managed to get the the first goal of the game yesterday as well, which was a nice way for us to to end off. Justin, nice and detailed. I absolutely love it. Uh, sticking to a similar vein, although you don't need to go through every team, although you can if you want to. Uh, but you, you have already mentioned Allison, but uh, other coaches along your journey. We have really, really stood out. 
I've uh, I've been exceptionally lucky over the years, um, and again, I don't want to uh, I don't want to not name anybody that uh, yeah that, that could that could take offence. Obviously, I've I've had some fantastic coaches over the years, but there there have been a few standout ones. Um, I mentioned Craig Fulton early on. Um, I think um, the major one uh, in my formative years as a hockey player, um, you know, post or I guess making it early into the national team goes without saying is Paul Revington. Um, Jeez, uh, well, I, I, there's not much I, I, I can say about Rev that probably hasn't really been said by by hundreds of other players over the years that have that have had the opportunity to play under him. Um, he just he just knew how to get the best out of his players, and sometimes I was going, you know, uh, you know, pushing you emotionally and mentally, and other times it was really just being there to listen and understand, and and he got that. Um, he he was a, a you know so passionate about the game. Or he is sorry. Uh, speaking about him in the past tense is probably not fair. Um, yeah, just he just loves the game. He's an absolute hockey fanatic and knows the details um, of every player and of every team. Uh, you know, in my new and he's just yeah a guy that I've always respected so much. Um, you know, when I moved to Potchefstroom from Pretoria to go to, to play hockey, I did it because I wanted to have him as my coach, um, you know, because he'd be my national team coach until he stopped at the end of 2006. And I packed my bags and moved to Potchefstroom to, uh, to continue playing under it. Um, so that's definitely a standout one. I mentioned Alice Nannan, um, but I've also had the, you know, the, the opportunity to be coached by uh, the likes of Charles Bonnet. Uh, Greg Clark, uh, someone who we didn't always see eye to eye on certain things, but uh, you know, to not mention him, I think would be unfair. Um, I think he achieved a hell of a lot with a with a group of players that he had in South Africa, um, and we got we got really far as a group uh, under Clarky, and obviously with uh, with Runchy as well. I managed to win uh, the the first hockey in the league with him as coach. Um, yeah, and then I guess of of late, more recently. Uh, Really, really had a good click and uh, enjoyed playing under Graham Reed. Uh, obviously, a fantastic Australian international, um, established Australian coach, but uh, just a wonderful guy as well. And um, yeah, got to know him really, really well during his time here in Amsterdam. And uh, yeah, obviously, going to do a really, really good job. I think now with, with India at the Olympics and uh, yeah, playing under Possum was uh, was a, was, a, was a good time as well. Um, would it be nice if he'd been able to stay on a little bit longer at Amsterdam? I think he had uh, room to achieve a little bit more than, than what he's probably been, been granted. Um, but yeah, I think that uh, that list. Uh, I'm probably missing out one or two play, one or two coaches here that I that I probably should mention. But uh, I think that that's the list that sticks with me probably the most uh, over the years. Your, your dog is is being an amazing uh, guest. Uh, he's, yeah, uh, superb. Oh, sorry. No, no, geez, it's superb. Yeah. <laughs> what 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 breed is he? He's a French bulldog, so the breathing, uh, the breathing issues you can hear. Uh, yeah, <laughs> he's giving me a look now, like what the hell have I done? Oh, that, is, uh, that is that is amazing. I uh, I had pugs, so I had very similar. Breeds, oh, yeah, so. you'll, you'll you'll know all about it. I know, yeah, I know exactly about their problems when it comes to breathing. So, Jeez, so speaking, keeps us up longer than our kids. <laughs> speaking on the the coaching side of things, um, just does is that something that that interests you at all? Now that you, you've hung up, your, hung up your boots uh, from as a player? Um, I'm going to give you, uh, I guess, the two answers to this question. The first one is um, coaching a team, being a head coach. Um, no, that, that doesn't interest me. Um, I know how 
hockey players can, especially if men hockey players can be a bunch of prima donnas, um, and I don't have time for that shit. Excuse me, I don't know if I can say that on there. But I, I just don't have the patience for uh, for all the the ins and outs that come with that. To be completely honest, it's something I've considered. Um, but I think there's there's a lot of stuff, uh, you know, external stuff that comes with being a coach of a hockey team and I guess any sports team. Um, the thing is with hockey is that you don't really have the resources that a lot of other professional sports do when it comes to, you know, handling all the things that go alongside being, uh, being a team coach and focusing on the tactics uh, and the technical elements of the game. You essentially become a, um, you know, a sports psychologist, you become a confidant, you become a manager, uh, there are a lot of those elements that that, that you don't really consider until uh, until you really kind of are stuck into it. So that's that's not really something that I would consider doing. Um, I think especially now because I want the time with my family. I don't think coaching is really on the cards because that probably takes up even more time than being just a player. Um, one thing that I do think there's a you know a, a real lack of in in, in the Netherlands in, in particular, but probably worldwide is is quality. Uh, penalty corner coaching um, and I'm not saying direction specifically that's obviously lacking but penalty corners in general I think uh, it's something that people don't really you know everybody everybody uses them everyone wants to be a draft like everyone wants to be uh, you know score the goals but people don't often consider how important it is to be able to push a ball out effectively and how to trap a ball effectively and how to run variations effectively and uh, I think there's really an opportunity for something like that uh, here in the Netherlands and probably uh, on, a, on a larger scale. Um, and yeah, that's something that I'm I'm looking into uh, yeah, turning into maybe a little small one-man band business uh, side project over the next couple of years. Uh, I'm glad that you mentioned that, Justin, because one thing that really stands out to me from the many conversations that we've had, and this stems right back to to the very first interview that that we did with you, and you spoke about your time at Pretoria Boys, and uh, I think you just moved over to to Pretoria from PE, and yep. you're a lighty, and I don't think you you were at Pretoria Boys yet, yet you're always practicing. You're using the Astro, and yeah. and you spoke about how the coach always knew at like five or six in the evening you'd drive past and you'd find Justin Reed Ross there on the Astro, flicking ball after ball after ball after ball after ball into the top left or right hand corner, and. And he knew that you'd go far just based purely on that. And um, I mean, obviously that, that does go a long way. And there's no question that the more you practice, the, the better you get, as Gary Player always said. But yeah. uh, I mean, it is certainly a skill to master. And, and you are certainly someone who has definitely been a master at it. And, and it would be a crime for you not to, to be able to pass on that knowledge to, to younger future Justin Reed Rosses. Yeah, I think that that's definitely one element of it. I think it's also, if I look at the kind of the top club teams now, and probably the top international teams, um, you know, some teams have you know specialists that they work with occasionally, but it's it's not something that's kind of um, ingrained in the culture of, of of sports teams. Whereas goalkeepers have individual trainers, they have sessions at least once a week with a, with an individual trainer, and that that's across here in the whole cluster. Um, you know, I'll look at the national team in South Africa, they'll have a goalkeeper coach on board pretty much every training camp. Uh, but drag flicking is again then something that that kind of falls on generally the head coach of the team who isn't necessarily a specialist at the technique um, or understanding the kind of um, the mechanics of it. Um, so, I, yeah, I think from that perspective, there really is um, there is a lot of room 
for uh, for specialist coaching like that. Um, yeah, whether whether teams and clubs uh, are you know available to open up budget for things like that, you never really know. Um, there are some specialists that that do make, from what I understand, a lot of money doing this kind of thing, uh, which makes it sometimes a little bit uh, inaccessible to you know probably you know your average hoof plus and level drag flicker. Uh, the thing is, though, young guys starting off that are talented start off as an average hoof plus and level drag flicker or club level drag flicker. Uh, and to be able to make that step up, they need access and opportunity to have good coaching and to have people that understand not only the the, the technical and, and, and physical elements of the draft, but also the mental aspect of it. And, you know, deciding where you're going to flick the ball and not changing your mind midway through your run-up because uh, it's going to affect where you're going to flick and how to deal with the pressure moments uh, of, wanting, of needing to flick a ball after the final whistle's gone. You know, those types of things are, are things that are often left just up to the the draft flick on his own. I mean, it's it's like a it's like a QB, I guess, in uh, in NFL. You know, having to make a call and make a play on the last uh, on the last play to win a game, and yeah, you know, it all falls on them. Um, and yeah, having dealt with that feeling many many times in my career, positive and negative, um, you know, I feel like I am someone that can probably you know share a little bit of information on on you know how to handle that, and also being uh, understanding that. You don't always handle it. You know, there are also going to be moments in your career where you're going to think, shit, I really, you know, I could have done something very, very different in that moment or I should have, should have flicked the ball here or I should have done this. And, uh, you know, those types of things are, are not often discussed. Um, and I think making that a little bit more accessible is, is something that a lot of people would, uh, would appreciate and, and, and probably make use of. Yeah, Justin, it's, it's obviously uh, something that we'd love to see. And, you know, you, you are, uh, what's the right word? You're inundated with the experience. Uh, inundated is not the right word. You're <laughs> covered in experience and you should be inundated with, with queries and stuff. And it would be great to, to have youngsters having the opportunity. And, and in this day and age, you know, Zoom calls and stuff like that are, possibly, uh, are possible yeah. as well. But, uh, yeah, is that something else? I mean, obviously, I know you, you do a bit of writing. Um, you, you like taking photos. Then avenue that you'll get involved in hockey, maybe with something like that? Writing, taking photos? Oh, public geez, speaking? Good, good question. Look, that's always, uh, that's always an opportunity. I've always enjoyed speaking. Um, yeah, uh, I'm probably sure everybody that's listening has noticed that I just crack on. Uh, I should give you guys a lot of time to jump in in between. <laughs> Um, yeah, it's, uh, you know, again, I think it's all it's all down to timing. You know, if, if I can combine things with with the rest of my life, um, you know, in an efficient way, that I also have a bit of time for myself at the end of the day. Then yeah, there's there's nothing there's nothing stopping me from doing that. Um, I think the creative side of things is something I've always enjoyed, and it's something I'd like to have more time for now. And there's no reason that I can't. I think combine my kind of yeah, I guess hockey experiences and. Uh, yeah, and knowledge that I guess I've gained over the last what is it, um, you know, fifteen, twenty years of playing at a fairly high level, um, you know, in, into a more creative side of things. And I think there are a lot of platforms that are opening up now for for people to do that and share their experiences and, and you know use their use their platform to share knowledge and 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 help new generations coming through. I think hockey does miss that a lot. I don't think there are a lot of people that are. Yeah, you know, taking the time to, uh, you know, a lot of people putting videos on TikTok and Instagram, but probably not really speaking about the, about the details as much, which, uh, which is something I think would be quite cool. 
And uh, you also got uh, a a cupboard full of Adidas hockey sticks. Are you going to be uh, doing anything special with any of them? Special framing or something to remember them? Jeez, uh, that's a good question as well. Um, there are a couple of hockey shirts that will probably go up in, in frames. Um, you know, I, I used to be pretty, I used to be pretty much a hoarder. Uh, I used to just collect stuff endlessly. Uh, but living in a small Amsterdam apartment, you realize pretty quickly that if you hoard too much, you end up not having space to move around your own apartment. So I've got a little bit more selective with the stuff that I have. Um, you know, the sticks, uh, I've, I've got a collection of sticks upstairs, uh, Olympic sticks, World Cup sticks, um, a, nice, a nice mix of brands as well that I've played with over the years, um, which is quite cool to see and look back on all the different sticks that I used uh, from, from the early days of my career until now. Um, no, if I, I don't think anything's going to be framed. Generally, what I do at the end of each season is, uh, you know, any sticks that I have left over, I, I give to my old man. Uh, Bali can then uh, run around his Masters League uh, with a brand new Adidas stick and uh, he, he likes to show off with the, with the latest gear, shoes and sticks and shin pads and everything else that he gets his hands on. Um, I'm going to have a good chuckle though when he rocks up next season with a hot pink kit that I had to play in this year. Um, not, not so sure you can pull it off at his age, but uh, he'll do it with pride, I think. <laughs> that is brilliant. It's oh, brilliant. <laughs> Ah, <laughs> oh, Justin, it's it's been so good having you on the show. As always, uh, you said you're know, one of the best friends of uh, Hockey the Podcast. And of course, we've uh, we've dealt with you in uh, some of our other products. I mean, you mentioned uh, Chris Morris a little earlier. Chris Morris was yeah. your teammate on uh, the Wednesday 1K. Oh, no, it was the uh, Lockdown Sports Quiz Live the edition. Quiz. Yeah, yeah, yeah that, that we did on the, on the one Thursday. You guys did uh, fairly well. It was great to have you both on board. But uh, you're not done yet because, as you know, having been on you before, uh, there's the small matter of the one question quiz to get past oh, first. I'm handing it over to you, Ty. All yours. Ty's on mute. You know, I was going to make it a friend's question, but the amount of times I do that is actually ridiculous. Um, I was going to make it a friend's question, but then I said, you know, when, when I ask questions, they're usually hockey-related. And uh, they give you an option to uh, have a guess, nice. uh, with, <laughs> whether your guess is right or not. But you are an Olympian. If you didn't know that, well done. You are an Olympian. Thanks. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, fairly good chance that you knew that. But um, as part of your Olympics, uh, you, of course – played in London 2012, South Africa, got a whole bunch of goals in that tournament. And you were South Africa's top goal scorer with four. All I want to know from you is how many different goal scorers did South Africa have in that tournament? That is a very, very good question. Um, I'm trying to think off the top of my head. I know that Orson scored. I know that John T. Robinson scored. I know that Lloyd Norris Jones scored. Four. I know that Wade Payton scored. I am going to go with a fly and say seven. You are not correct. Not correct. So (laughs) one more go. Uh, It's got to be higher than. Am I? Am I in the ballpark? 
I mean, I feel like if I tell you that. No. <laughs> okay, eight. It's going to be eight. Let's go through the list and see how close you got. John T. Robinson got two goals. Yeah. Wade Payton got a goal. Andrew Crenier got a goal. It was his birthday uh, just yeah, the other day. I remember day. that. Yeah, I remember that goal as well against Pakistan. Ozzy got a goal. India, what was it? Yeah. Uh, for Tim Drummond got a goal. That's five. Yeah, that was an assist for me, by the way. I remember that one. Yeah. Of, of course, Chuck got a couple of goals. Yeah. Uh, yourself, you got four. That takes us up to seven. But of um, course, Thornton McDade got one. It's eight, and that is correct. Yeah, it's good enough. We'll eight. give it to you. Eight oh. is correct. So not just signing out from your club career, your hockey <laughs> career with a goal and a victory, wow. but also a victory. a victory on the one-question quiz. Yep. Not bad, not bad. I'll take that. That that, that <laughs> must definitely go on your CV, which uh, you're certainly going to be updating now. As uh, fact that uh, you said cheers to hockey, but yeah, uh, congratulations on finishing this interview off on a grand note, as you did with your hockey career. But uh, you're not lost to the show at all, Justin. Just because you're hanging up the boots, uh, you'll certainly be in and about, and uh, we look forward to many, many more chats in the future. But for now, congrats on a on a magnificent career. Thanks, gents. Yeah, really, really awesome to chat to you again. And uh, I think I said it last time as well, is when we have these conversations, it, uh, it always brings back a lot of memories and uh, it gets me thinking a little bit about uh, what, what, yeah, what's kind of happened over the years. So uh, thanks for that. Thanks for giving me the opportunity. And um, yeah, hopefully, uh, hopefully chat to you guys soon. Maybe maybe a little Olympics uh, preview of, of sorts in the next couple of months. Maybe we'll have fun to do that. That that goes without saying, and and your your man yeah, next to you, yourself booked. Yeah, done. And, and, and done. your your so man next to you agrees. Uh, quickly, what's your dog's name? Harvey. 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 And not not, not Weinstein. I get asked that literally daily. It was Harvey Keitel. Nobody knows who Harvey Keitel is. I'll, I'll back you guys to know who that is. Of course, but, yes, uh, without a doubt, yeah. Mr. Wolf. Thank you. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, okay, Justin Reed Ross, thank you so much. And to Harvey, it's been great having you on the show, as always. And uh, yeah, I think that's a, a guarantee. Uh, consider it done. Mark your calendars. Hockey Olympic preview coming up, featuring the one and only Justin Reed Ross. Already, you, you, you're filling up the calendar, even though you, you said goodbye to hockey. How's that? Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty subtle with my booking agenda, so as you can tell. <laughs> Justin, cheers, my man. Thanks so much. Thanks, gents. Enjoy the rest of the evening. Will do. Ty, thanks as always. A brilliant guest. Uh, but yeah, we always know it. It's, it's no surprise. He's been in here many, many times, and he just keeps on smashing it uh, in the top corner whenever we have him on. Uh, absolutely. Uh, I'm glad I don't have to defend it, but uh, I'm sure many, uh, many others are too. So, uh, yeah, just thanks so much. And uh, we will chat to you all again soon. Have a good evening, everyone. Stay safe in the midst of this third wave. And uh, hopefully see you on the side of a hockey field. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.